Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to inquiry, reflection, questions, possibilities, as we say around here, philosophical quandaries, uncovering dissonance, and a whole lot more, all in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. Indeed, an hour dedicated to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us go further inward and perhaps challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour for the open-minded, for where our search might take us may provoke a level of insight that may just perturb our notion of what is real, what is tractable, what is important, and more. It is therefore an hour where we admit that our foregone conclusions could all be wrong, and in that way, truly open ourselves up to the plausibility of a new level of comprehension that in some ways, somehow, may indeed lead to that elusive state known as enlightenment. Now, each week I read a few of your letters as our way of paying homage to the importance you play in helping us to shape our show and improve it in every way. Last week, our guest was Glennis McCants, and our subject was numerology. I find this an interesting area of inquiry, uh, but I'm unable to think of it as a science, I guess because, by definition, in my view, it simply is not. To meet that criterion, it would have to be a discipline of the sort that leads to common conclusions by experimenters utilizing the same protocol. That said, I do think Glynis is very talented. All right, Glynis dropped me a note after the show to say, Eldon, I got a lot of emails from people who felt we had a fun, lively debate on your show and that they really enjoyed it. I look forward to meeting you in person at one of the Hay House events. Take good care. Well, you too, Glennis, and I appreciate you being on the show, and I appreciate you, you, your openness to discuss it. Now, Claire wrote, I listened yesterday to the Glennis show, and I have to say that while I've heard her countless times on coast and enjoy her humor and insight, she didn't take so well to the alternative view of numerology you set out at the beginning, and I actually found that distracting. You did a beautiful job of moving it along and out of that vibe, but it made me think that if I'm ever in that same situation, I will be sure to show more humor and not sound so defensive. That's just my take on it, and it may not be accurate, but funny how attitude comes across in a voice. Love the show. Love all the shows. Well, thank you very much, uh, Claire, for the feedback. Gabriella wrote, Hi, Eldon. Thank you for reading my comment on your radio show the other day. It was totally unexpected and made my day and almost made me feel like a celebrity. Well, good for you, Gabriella. You are a celebrity and celebrate that for us all. Sandra wrote, I bought your mind programming book and I've been listening to the complimentary CD and it's amazing. Thank you for doing this. It was what I needed. Well, thank you for your feedback, Sandra. And for all of you out there, you should know that the paperback version of mind programming has recently been released and can be had online or at online booksellers, I guess I should say, now for around $11. And it comes with a free CD that sells every day for $27.95. So I'd encourage you to get your copy while the getting is good. Evelyn wrote, I am currently reading and loving mind programming, and I came across a section concerning animals sacrificing their lives to save the life of a human being. This has always been a part of my own belief system, and I chalked it up to my own personal insanity and magical thinking. I'm so relieved to know that I am not the only one who believes this. Thank you. Well, now, 
Evelyn, between my two books, Mind Programming and the new hardback release of What Does That Mean? I think a clear case for animal specialness, I, I think I've made that case. Their consciousness is much more than the so-called, quote, man has dominion over the beast, end quote, model that's so prevalent in our culture. And thank you for your letter. Now, Monia wrote, thank you for these downloads. Forgiveness is a must for all of us. All right. Monia is speaking about the free programs that we make available. We have many programs that are yours for the downloading, including what used to be our best-selling program, best-selling until I decided to give it away, since, in my opinion, it's the very foundation to which all of our new beginnings uh, begin, and that is our program, Forgiving and Letting Go. Call it our pay-it-forward effort. We also have over 300 InterTalk Power recordings covering nearly every imaginable topic. You can check out hundreds and hundreds of first-hand reports about the programs while you're at the site and enjoy hours of online book and article reading. The site's truly, truly a resource center, so just go to InterTalk, I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K, dot com and get your programs today. Finally, David wrote, Dear Eldon, thank you so much for your downloads stress-free and hope they have helped me in just the past 10 days to gather strength and particularly in a particularly tough time in the lives of our family thank you and god bless you now thank you david for both the feedback and the new warm fuzzy feeling you have given me as a result of knowing that in some way my work has helped you in a time of need okay that's all the time that we're going to take today for letters, but I do invite you to opine by leaving comments on my website or emailing me at Eldon, E-L-D-O-N, at intertalk, I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K, dot com, and or by joining me on Facebook. I do read all of your letters, including, of course, those that don't make it to the show, and they do impact our programming. So once again, thank you. Now to today's subject. What would you say if someone suggested that everything you see in the world that you dislike, abhor, abhor, or find disgusting is indeed within you? What if they continued by suggesting that this darker side of you, so to speak, exists in everyone? Before we chase this idea any further, think of this. Is there a side of you that hides some truth about you that you are ashamed of? Do you think we all have some deep, dark secrets that we hope no one will discover? Do you think we can ever be truly enlightened if we hold some part of ourselves back, hidden deep in the closets within? Do we all have our mea culpas to make? Do we we put on personas, what I have called our four selves in my books, continually adjusting them to one mask, the one mask that we show everyone? Is there a shadow effect that haunts us until and unless we somehow accept it? Is there a healing process that takes place when we do open ourselves up to accepting the good and the bad from within? For over 25 years now, I have taught the value of forgiveness. Can we forgive ourselves of the dark, hidden side, all those secrets, and find that this forgiveness actually empowers our being, sets us free? Our guest today would say yes to all of these questions, but is this just a New Age twist on that old idea of Parmenides, uh, monism, 
that idea we find in the Hindu-Buddhist faith, uh, all of just one? I mean, if we were all one and all of us are the world, the world is within all of us, how do we reconcile the differences between particulars, such as, say, Mother Teresa and some, well, let's just say Hitler? Well, I know what I think about all of this, but we want your input and questions as well, so we invite you to join us. Okay, let's get to our guest. Debbie Ford is a number one New York Times bestselling author and an internationally recognized expert in the field of personal transformation and human potential. She's no stranger to Hay House listeners. She's a prior radio host. She's very exciting. She's the author of six books and the co-author of the all-new The Shadow Effect, illuminating the hidden power of your true self. Indeed, she is also the producer of the movie The Shadow Effect, which I watched last evening, and it's a good watch. Her six wo- her six books, including The Dark Side of Light, uh, I, that's really The Dark Side of Light, Chasers, Spiritual Divorce, and Why Good People Do Bad Things, have sold more than one million copies, are translated into 32 languages, and are used in institutions and learning learning institutions around the world. What makes Debbie Ford so special? Well, after all, she is quick to point out that we are all one. We are all geniuses. We are all beautiful. We are all loving. And we are all liars, thieves, and so forth. Sound shocking? Well, let's go direct to the source and find out more about this notion of the shadow effect. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Debbie Ford. Ah, thank you for having me. I oh, can't indeed... decide right now if I'm the angel or the demon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. Let's go right to that. Angel or demon, What? what is there lurking in Debbie Ford that brought her to where she is today? So, in other words, tell us a little bit about you and why, what prompted you uh, to write and film The Shadow Effect? Well, my story is long, of course, but, you know, if we got it down to a very short story, it would be that I never felt good in my body, that at some point I started using drugs to numb and change the way that I felt so that I could fit in, so that I would have confidence, so that I would belong, that all crashed, and uh, I would say Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. And when I was about 24 years old, I began this journey of trying to heal my inner world. And, of course, I tried everything, everything that was out back then. And I don't want to say how many years ago, but it was over 25 years ago at least. You know, we didn't have that many great teachers or or processes, although I did try many, jumped off mountains and hung crystals over my head and drank wheatgrass and said my affirmations and made my tapes. And I remember after about five years of being on this path, and I'd wrap myself, I'd become a very different person. I'd become a very, what I thought, a conscious person, a loving person, a warm person, a sensitive person. And But when I would meditate, I would still wake up hating parts of who I was and still making half of who I was wrong. Mm. 
and trying to get rid of parts of myself. That was my chase. If I could really get rid of my anger, if I could get rid of my selfish impulses, if I could get rid of my laziness, if I could get rid of whatever that was at the time. And I realized, I say, in my moment of awakening, and it was really listening to a conversation that Deepak Chopra was having with Wayne Dyer um, way back when, um, and he was saying, you know, we are a microcosm of the macrocosm, that we are all that there is, and that we're not in the world, but the world is actually within us. And I was so taken in both a fascination and a bit of a disgust, like, why would this brilliant man say the world is within me? And... uh uh, but I tried it. I was obsessed with this conversation. I must have listened to it 50 times until one day I woke up. I was in, got in the train to go to school. I was living in San Francisco at the time. And this woman started screaming at her child. And I got very upset and very angry. And I started in my mind thinking she shouldn't be able to have kids. And why is she talking to her child? And this is all wrong. And in the middle of this, in this moment, I heard this voice inside that said, if your child had just spilled milk on you on the way to work, you'd be going off like a banshee too. And it was in that moment that I realized what Deepak Chopra was telling us, that this behavior that I saw in somebody else actually existed inside of myself. And that it wasn't about trying to get rid of these parts, but really healing them. That these parts are our wounded parts, the parts of us that need love. And that if we are going to be whole, we are the saint in the sinner. And we are the selfless and the selfish. And we are the beautiful and creative and the boring and the ugly. And how are we going to love the world within us, and when we're loving the world within us, and of course, the magic that most of us are looking for happens because suddenly we love the world outside of us as well. That was a mouthful, I know. No, I, I, I find that all very interesting, but of course, you know, uh, the philosopher in me is, I, I have to ask you a couple of questions. Please. It, Based, of course, on that view, that world view, um, what we have is the idea that, uh, for all intent and purposes, well, monism is an old idea. It's not unique to a few cultures. Indeed, the entire notion of this non-duality has gained quite a bit of traction here in the States of late. But when you th- when you think of it formally, it's a view in metaphysics that reality is a unified whole. And that all existing things can be ascribed to or described by uh, a single concept or system. So, now, if this is so, then the actions of those who we might disapprove of, like what you just pointed out, are really just reflections of something within our own being, right? Exactly. Okay. But then that means, and I know you're politically active... That means that all of those issues that we identify outside of ourselves that we would like to champion uh, or that we find reprehensible 
they're really not outside ourselves. They're inside ourselves. Yes. Okay. I agree. Okay. So now if we follow that a little further, then what we have is a, we have a worldview that is non-theistic. Because the theistic religious worldview, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, etc., begins with the idea of God as a separate, knowable, supernatural personality who creates the universe and living beings out of nothing. Where the monistic or non-dual cosmology, in contrast, does not hold this to be the case. So, how do you square that with the theists, or do you even try? Because implicit in that idea is the notion, implicit in monism, the idea of monism is the notion that whatever we think of God, the grand organizing designer, the unmoved mover, the quintessential, if you will, singularity of Hawking, whatever we think of, that creative force, it is all the evil as well. Yeah. So you don't attempt to square this with with theism at all? Well, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what you mean, but no, I'm just, I'm standing in a view of the world that says we are all that we are, both the dark and the light, and that we have come here to this universe to make peace with the whole, not just the whole in the outer world, but the whole in our inner world. And when we can open our hearts to the divine inside of us, let's say, we can start to heal and bring the light to what we have deemed wrong and bad and unacceptable and sinful. And okay, but, but what exactly is the relationship between unity, all of us in the absolute, and multiplicity, the phenomenal world that we live in, each of us separate. Well, I think we are one of the same, and we do have an individual expression. But I think that's why some of us will display some qualities while others of us will display others. But I think that, you know, from myself and the path that I would suggest people open up to is that if we want to stand in this unity, if we want to stand in this oneness, we must start the process internally because the outer world is an expression of our collective internal world. Okay, but I I guess where I'm getting to, and I don't want to spend the entire show on this because I do love the healing aspect of everything that you're doing, but I guess where I'm going to is... You could take an instance like Darfur. You can look at that and, and you can say, we should have been more involved. Perhaps uh, uh, we should still be more involved. Uh, we should look out for these kinds of things in the world. Look at the tragedies. We can read the stories. And, and when we do that, I have some difficulty in identifying what happened there as being within me. Mm. And And what you're suggesting is that, I look at those things, and instead of having, if you will, causes uh, that motivate me, and, and forgive me, but I'm coming you know, basically from a criminalist background. Uh, if I arrested someone in the past uh, for uh, 
committing an act that uh, was not only criminal, but for all intent and purposes, uh, I would view as just obscene, uh, there was some satisfaction to that. And, and if I take literally what you're, um, what you're explaining to me, then what I was, that satisfaction uh, was misplaced. It, it's not, I mean, that's, it would, be, would have been a form of self-aggrandizement as opposed to a sense of uh, I've helped society in some way. Well, I think it can be both because you did maybe save somebody else, right, where there is some satisfaction from taking somebody who's doing something that is hurting another, but at the same time when we feel, depending on where that gratification is coming from, you know, the, the, our egos love when somebody else is acting out. We actually have an internal release inside. It's kind of like, thank God it's not me that caught caught with my pants down. Sure, sure. So, but but let's let's assume you return some children to uh, a parent uh, that's been abducted and missing for some period of time, uh, and you've recovered those children. There is a sense watching that embrace go on between those families and those tears that that are shed and that that relief that that occurs, there is this special sense that transcends ego. It's, it has nothing to do with ego. It, it is just, a, you know, what I call a warm, fuzzy feeling. And, and I guess what I'm trying to get to is, is that, is that warm, fuzzy feeling something that we should even be recognizing? Because after all, uh, the evil that's out there in the world, all we've done is do battle with ourselves. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you're not going to feel warm and fuzzy. And I mean, if we're really standing us, then we are everything. And so when you see the light of your greatest self, who can, who does take the action or does return a family or who does hug your children or does pay for somebody to go to school, you know, no matter what the act is, then we, we're humans. It does feel good, right? It does. It's something special. We are displaying our light. So well, I'm not I arguing that we, I'm not in any way saying that you wouldn't feel that. I think you will feel that. But at the same time, you would also feel on the other side the horror of what's going on in a place where kids are being murdered and where we're turning our back. You know, why, don't, why do we act slower? Why is the, the gulf right now still, you know, filled with oil? Because yeah. we aren't as one. We're not moving as one body, one world, one, you know, we're like those evil people or those unlucky people out there, right? That at the outer, the people we see out there aren't us. This is the problem with why this old paradigm of looking at the human being doesn't work. But if I'm sitting here and I'm saying, this is my world, right? These are my people. I'm I'm going to... I'm going to have you hold that, Debbie. We're coming up on a break. And, you know, we've got some questions out of the chat room and uh, some callers. So uh, when we come back, we'll we'll pick it up from there. I concur with where you're going. Uh, You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment on Hay House Radio. My special guest today is Debbie Ford. We're discussing her new movie and book, The Shadow Effect. We'll be right back after these words from some of our friends. 
Close your eyes. Imagine your goals and dreams. What's preventing you from accomplishing them? Most often, we are our own worst enemies. I can't. I'm not good enough. It's time to reprogram that inner dialogue. Replace all those negative self-images with, I'm good. I am powerful. I can do anything. Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk patented subliminal technology does just that. Researched at numerous universities such as Stanford and by governments such as Mexico and Germany, InnerTalk has repeatedly been proven effective at changing your self-talk. Stop imagining your goals and make them a reality today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. InnerTalk.com. Do you feel like you've become lost in a funhouse? Only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto the path leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Elton Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions, now expanded, updated, and revised. It will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free from your current perceptions and begin your journey to how high is up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, my guest today is Debbie Ford, and we're discussing the darker side of human nature as well as the lighter side. But before we get back to today's show, I want to remind you to sign up for my free newsletter. When you receive my newsletter, you not only gain access to great articles and timely news, but you will always know where I am and what's on next. You can sign up for the free newsletter by going to eldontaylor.com, E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. And once there... Be sure, again, to check out all the content. We have a lot of material there that's yours for the downloading. Okay, lastly, if you enjoy our show, be sure to join us on Facebook under Provocative Enlightenment. Become a fan there. We'd appreciate it. Just search Provocative Enlightenment again on Facebook. All right, now back to the show. Before we went to the break, Debbie and I were discussing the nature of this uh, how, how we separate the individual, the, the, the particular, if you will, from the greater, the collective. Uh, and as it would be, Mod Girl from our chat room has a question for you, Debbie. So I'm just going to pick it up from there. She says, I think it would be helpful if Debbie was to make more clear the difference between the collective and the personal. Can you do that? God, I'll try my best. Um, so... For me, you know, the individual is you, me, you know, all these beings that look like uh, we're separate. And I think we do have a separate uh, identity, um, and we have free will over that identity. But I think we're also, at the same time, we are connected to something larger than ourselves. We're connected to each other. We're connected as one energetically 
and that the struggle here is, you know, who will show up today, my human self or what I would call my sacred self or my divine self, which is an alignment and attunement with the greater whole that knows that my brothers and sisters in Africa who are dying and don't have any food need to be looked after, or those in Haiti, whether there's a, you know, an emergency right now or, you know, a month ago or it will be in three months. Mm -hmm. So I think that we are connected in the heart, and when we tap into that energetically, we we feel the collective. And, you know, it's so interesting because, of course, I write a lot, and I always say that, I've never, people ask me, how do you write so much? And I say, oh, it's easy. All I have to do is tap in. Because I feel like I'm a downloader. There's this collective consciousness out there that we can tap into where we can all reach out, and it's palpable. We can feel each other. We can feel the highest calling for our individual and our collective souls. And at the same time, we can tap into the darkness. If you go to certain neighborhoods where there's been, where there's poverty and fathom, fathom, and people are, um, crim, you know, you worked with criminals, there is a collective unconscious that, that can move people to do things that they never thought they were capable of. And so I think it's important to understand it because oftentimes people come to me with their problems or their anger or their rage, and they're just tapped into something in the collective that's driving them, their human, you know, self-crazy. Right. Don't, don't you think, indeed, Debbie, uh, there's a sort of hive consciousness that is the common consciousness where, for all intent and purposes, we're behaving like, you know, uh, we all are, are bees in a hive carrying out our daily duties and not even, forgive the pun, but not even conscious of what consciousness is. Yes, and I think the trick is, I love that you said that. I was like, what did he say? Hive consciousness. Yes, Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think the biggest problem we have here, for me, what I see, is that we think that there's some of us that think we are conscious when we are being unconscious. And I know that I can catch myself in that all the time. And I live in what I think is a pretty conscious environment, but yet I fall into this unconscious trap, this trance. It's, it's automatic. It's part of being a human being that takes me into looking through this small myopic lens of my humanity rather than the wide, you know, lens of my divinity. Right, right. Let's, we have a caller that has uh, the same question as Janet from our chat room, so let's take our caller on line one, Madeline, you have a question uh, for Debbie Ford, please. Hi. Hi, thanks for taking my call. And I just tuned in, so I'm really sorry if I'm repeating myself or, or maybe the question had been answered already in a different way. But um, how do I resolve my, inter- my personal internal conflicts that I know are keeping me from moving forward? I'm conscious of it intellectually, and I'm thinking that, it's not impeding my, my progress forward, but I know it must be because I can't move forward. Mm, that is such a great question. Well, this would be my answer to that. 
you know, you said something really important. You said, you know, I understand it intellectually. In the emotional healing world or our soul's work, to me, understanding something intellectually is one part of a process, but it isn't the healing part. And if you stop at intellectual understanding, you get the booby prize. That to really let something go is we must embrace it. We must understand it from a spiritual or soul perspective that each and every experience, whether we're holding on to a resentment or a grudge or a regret or a fear or an addiction or something from our past, has a gift in it innately, something that will help us be more in the collective, not so much be more in our individual lives, but be more and serve as a collective gift to the world. And when you understand it, which I believe we must go inside ourselves, the answers are within, they're within you, you close your eyes and you meditate on that every day. What is the gift of this experience? If this was the best thing that could ever happen to me, why? How could I now serve others? How could this help me move forward? And I believe when you hear that message, you will automatically be set free from the prison of your past. Thank you. Thank you for calling, Madeline. Now I, I, I'm going to have to. I'm going to steal some time here, Debbie, before I get back to some of these other questions. Implicit in the answer that you just gave, and I think that was a marvelous uh, answer, by the way. But but implicit in that answer is the is the notion that we're all individual, we're all unique, and I'm, I'm just going to say unique. So our dark side is unique, and it is a gift. And if we reconcile this gift, and you correct me if I say anything wrong, if we reconcile this gift, then we're able to give from that basis to those others in humanity. So my question would be, where's the balance between living as one, the collective, and also just appreciating our unique individuality? Oh, well, you said so many things I want to address, so maybe, maybe you can well, help me go it. through them. I mean, one of the things is, is that we are all unique. We are collective beings, but part of this beautiful puzzle, the best way I ever heard it described was from my son's first grade teacher. And when they all walked into the class, she gave everybody on first, first day of first grade a piece of a puzzle, cardboard puzzle. And in the back was a number. And I remember because Bo, my son, was number 14. There was 19 kids in the class, and I was so proud. And she started calling each child up and taking their piece of this cardboard, big cardboard puzzle, and putting it up. Number one piece, number two piece, number three piece. And all of a sudden, you could see this big Winnie the Pooh puzzle. Except there was a problem there because number 19 wasn't there that day. And so there was like a gap in this beautiful mosaic of life. And I thought this is a way for us to understand that we are unique. Every piece was unique, right? Every piece had different colors, a different size, a different shape. But ultimately, when we came together, we fit into this beautiful puzzle showing a beautiful picture. 
So I think we are individual, but I think also that, that there is this place in us when it comes to our pain to back up a little, to come to our wounds, that even though it may be happening in our individual, like I suffered from addiction, bad, bad addiction. When I went to my fourth drug treatment center, I was taking 100 pills a day, smoking three or four packs of cigarettes loaded with cocaine every day for years. Now, I can sit there today and tell you, after I'm now nine into my, starting to write my ninth book and teaching people all over the world, hundreds of thousands of people, that that individual experience I'm able to use for the collective good. And this is what I see in people, whether the collective good is my family or the collective good is my local school or my collective good is, you know, I'm coming to share on this radio show and I'm going to help somebody else, that, that we must understand this as individual souls to really get into the heart and find compassion because compassion is what opens up to us to all the other people in the world. Then we can see the oneness when we can be compassionate with all the qualities on the planet and say, you know, there, but to the grace of God, go I today. You know, thank God I'm not being that angry person. Thank God I'm not being that evil person. Thank God I'm not, you know, being insane. So did that make any sense? Absolutely. I love the metaphor besides, you know, let's do this. Let's just take your book and play with some of your ideas. All right. What is the beach ball effect? The beach ball effect is when we have taken a part of ourselves, right, our our collective selves, and we decided, I don't want to be that. So we just look at our mothers, our fathers. That's the best way. And we say, oh, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be hateful. I don't want to be um, loud. I don't. Whatever you decided or was told to you, don't be that. We take these parts of ourselves and we submerge them in our unconscious. Now, if we think about for each of these qualities, it is like if you've ever been in a pool or an ocean and you have a beach ball, and you hold that beach ball underwater, one day that part that we've hidden away comes up. An example, you're driving down the street, you're happy, you're singing, you feel fabulous, you had a great day at work, and then somebody comes and almost hits you on the road. And all of a sudden this rage comes forth, and you're so angry or somebody is late for an appointment or doesn't do a project and all of a sudden these beach balls, I'm going to say from the past, these unwanted emotions, these, these undigested aspects of ourselves pops up and this is the beach ball effect. That in fact we don't want to have to hide these parts, we actually want to heal these parts and if we let all these beach balls float into the surface of our consciousness, knowing that there isn't a quality that exists on the planet that doesn't exist within us. And if we can open our hearts to each and every quality, then we can use that instead of them using us. Can I, do I have time to give you an example? Please, please do. 
So I had somebody here just finishing um, their book last night who I've been supporting, and we went to dinner, and I, I was asking him what, what he thinks is may, maybe holding him back in one of the areas of his life, and he's a very loving, one of the most loving people I know, and it came up with that he hated his mean self. He hated mean people. He hated to be seen as mean. He didn't want any of that. And here I showed him, he's like, what could be good about being mean? I said, I don't know, maybe setting a boundary, maybe going into a place where they think guns are, you know, a way of life and taking their guns away, maybe stop enabling a child because they need you to be mean to them and cut them off. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. It's only in our area. There's a healthy, what I, what I really want to say is that there's a healthy expression for different qualities that most of us have never thought about because we've hidden them into the darkness of our unconscious minds. Interesting. The shadow effect. The shadow effect. That's the book. What do you mean, Debbie, by either you're going to use it or it's going to use you? Well, this is the thing that if people understood, they'd all run to do to learn about the shadow. Because if we have rejected a part of ourselves, let's say, let's say we don't want to be lazy because we grew up and we had a lazy parent. Right? Mm-hmm. So we right. decide I'm not going to be lazy and we become the workaholic. We become busy. Our to do list, we love to check them off, you know. But then when it comes to maybe doing our taxes, then when it comes to having our resume together for a jo- another job or, a, or, you know, a promotion, all of a sudden this part of us takes over. And we don't have access to getting it done because that part becomes this gripping. And I think everybody listening has had a time when they know they should do something, yet they're gripped by the other. Another thing I see, you know, because food is such a big issue for people, is people don't want to be weak. They don't want to be weak, so they go and they put this big persona on and they they wrap themselves up and they're strong and they're strong in all these different areas, but then they can't control or stop eating a a particular food, where if they could embrace and love that little weak self or that little lazy self, that all of a sudden, if we can love that part of us, it doesn't have to act up. These parts of us that we hate are like screaming three-year-old that you say, don't jump on the bed. What do you, what does a three-year-old do when you tell them not to jump on the bed? Well, they jump more. Mm-hmm. They jump touch more. touch paint, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you will say, let me see how I could use my weakness. Maybe my weakness, I could use it by asking somebody to support me or being my mentor or helping me in this area where I'm not strong, you know. Maybe if my lazy self might save me if I loved it from having a heart attack or doing 700 things that aren't important and doing the one thing that is really important. So this is what I mean. The shadow will show itself. It's controlling us in the areas where we've rejected 
parts of who we are as human and divine beings. And if the studies of science are correct, then if they, when they study people now, they can see given certain circumstances, certain upbringing, different things, people are capable of the greatest acts of humanity, the most selfless acts, and they're also capable of horrific crimes against humanity. The Lucifer effect, without a doubt. Research tends to show more and more of that, and we tend to uh, be more and more aversive to even hearing about it. Tell me what the shadow laugh is. Oh, that's a Debbie Fordism. You know, well, of this, course. Is, this is what I got really after years of teaching, is that when I nailed somebody on their shadow, they would laugh. And it would, it was unconscious. They didn't want to smile or laugh, but it just happens. And when I was on Hay House Radio, it was always interesting because, of course, you're only listening, so you have to listen closely. But when you nail something that we don't want to admit to, because your unconscious knows the truth, right? The only person right. we're really ever lying to is ourselves. We think we're lying to everybody else and covering things up, but really the... The place where we hide things is with ourselves. So the shadow laugh, and it happens a lot when I teach, like big roaring laughs, because, and that's what comics, you know, speak to, is the shadow. They're looking for for what hasn't been said or what wouldn't be said or what you would never say out loud, and then we all laugh at it because it's funny. So um, that's the shadow laugh. Like fart jokes. Yes, exactly. Like (laughs) fart jokes. Okay. Yes, exactly. What do you mean by what we can't be with won't let us be? Well, that's another... I remember when somebody said that to me maybe 25 years ago, there's certain things that stick. What you cannot be with, and we are human beings, won't let us be. So, again, if we think about that as we're growing up and socialized, as we're told, uh, don't be angry, don't be stupid, don't be an idiot, don't be too much, don't be too loud, don't be too great, don't be too, you know, small, whatever all those don't be, don't be, that we unconsciously, for most people, start to wrap ourselves up in a new persona. But what's happening underneath the surface, I think of it sometimes as lava, you know, this boiling lava that okay. is always driving us to either hide it, keep it submerged in some way. You know, we have to act. That's why people are so many people are people pleasers. I think it's the disease of our time. They will do for others and give up their own dreams, you know, or do things that make them feel bad about themselves just to please others. It's because underneath in that lava is that they don't want to be mean or they don't want to be selfish. So because they can't, not that that's mean or selfish, it's just a belief. But so when we can't be with all parts of ourselves, we are driven to behave differently. And so if you think of every quality is can I be with that, meaning can, can that part exist without me, you know, shaming myself? or being angry at myself, or pissed off at myself, then we know that, you know, for everybody, and I think as 
as we grow and evolve, we find more and more different parts of ourselves. And sometimes it's not the darkness we can't be with. We can't be with our greatness, our uniqueness, our brilliance, our beauty, our, our talent, our, you know, sensitivity. There's so many, there's thousands of qualities. So we have to learn to be, to open our arms to all of who we are, all of who we could be. You know, the great professional Carl Jung said, uh, we had a trickster. Debbie Ford says, we have a shadow effect. It's a great read. It's a wonderful book. It's a super movie. Um, I'd like to play advocate with you, devil's adversary, if you will, on a couple of other points. But I love your message. I tell you that. Tell everybody how they can get your book and learn more about what you're doing nowadays, Debbie. Um, well, people can come to uh, com, which always has my schedule updated. They can buy The Shadow Effect right there at hayhouse.com. They're the distributor of The Shadow Effect, and they'll also be producing The Shadow Process this year. So uh, I'm easy to find on the web. We have A Shadow Effect uh, and a Debbie Ford uh, fan page, so I interact a lot if you have questions, or I'm also... Debbie Ford on Twitter. So I'm easy to find. We have a lot of free um, different meditations and prayers and processes and worksheets for people um, that want to dip their toe in. I've also trained thousands of people in my work who you can find some of them on the Ford Institute website. And we and we have links to all of Debbie's uh, sites, activities, and some of her, her YouTube uh, uh and you'll want to take a look at them. I, I want to thank everybody for being here. Debbie, you've been a wonderful guest. I appreciate you, uh, and I appreciate the audience at large. And I hope you have all enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week, same time, same place. Unfortunately, we run out of time just all together too quickly. But next week, my guest will be Lorna Byrne, and she is back with her Angels in My Hair words, and she'll take your calls. Okay, until next time, remember... Believing in yourself always matters. Good day, good evening, good good wherever you are. <laughs>